for choosing this podcast for the BJSM community. And Fiona Wilson is internationally renowned for her work in back pain in rowing. Her PhD was in that topic and she finished that in 2012, but she's been highlighted at the International Olympic Committee meetings on injury prevention twice previously. And it's a privilege to be with you on the phone today, Fiona. Thanks for, thanks for making the call. Thank you very much. Delighted to be here. And I know you've listened to other podcasts and we all like to learn from the clinical scenarios. And we were chatting before the call where you were saying that there was a patient without giving any confidences away or naming any names who was um, a 50-year-old, prime of life, I would say, person who had a lot of rowing history but was coming in with back pain. Tell us about that. Yeah, so he was an interesting case and um, he presented with... Um, worsening back pain over the last year which had really kind of taken him out of rowing taken him out of the boat he'd intermittently gone back and tried again and had really started to think that um it was probably the end of his rowing career that this was normal you know as you got older if you'd had intermittent back problems this is what you'd expect and eventually would catch up with you he'd rowed as a junior all the way back, you know, at the age of 16 and, and had still rode into, up to his, the age of 50. Um, so we had a look at him and what was really interesting about him and um, rowing is a sport that requires coordination of so many different joints altogether. Um, and what had happened with him when we had a look at him, it was, it was quite a simple movement fault. He wasn't moving through his hips anymore. So his hips had become stiffer as he got older. Um, he hadn't addressed this, didn't see it was in, uh, the, there was a need to address it. And he probably had about 50% of normal range of hip flexion. So I actually looked at his back the normal ways, you know, sagittal plane, frontal plane movements, but I also got him to do a squat. And I could see that as he squatted very early in the movement range, he went into posterior pelvic tilt because he couldn't flex through his hips well. And I could see then that certain parts of the stroke, he was going to start loading his lower back really early. Um, his back was sore, you know, the, the, the spinal structures were sensitized from the loading. But it was actually quite a simple case. So I got him to video himself from the side, because everybody has an iPhone these days, on his rowing machine, sent it to me, and I could see quite clearly that that's what he was doing. And so all we did was work on his hip flexion. We got him to improve his range of motion, gave him a huge amount of stretching. And once we'd done that, then we improved the um, endurance of the spinal extensors because rowing is very dominated by the extensor muscles of the back and got him to do some um, dorsal raises, some deadlifts. And actually, he improved very quickly. And I think part of it was educating him around that movement pattern of what he was and wasn't doing, getting him to video it meant he could see what he was doing wrong. I could explain it to him. And actually, he's back rowing. He got back rowing quite quickly and actually won a medal. And you mentioned uh, heaps of stretching, specifically what type of stretches in this case? Two specific things. What we call the child's pose in yoga, where they, where they sit and actually... Um, with their knees flexed um, on the on the floor, their bottom on their heels, and then they move their trunk out in front of them. Sometimes they can do it with a gym ball because some people aren't able to really get into that position. 
if they have ankle problems, that can actually make it difficult. Um, but I usually get people to start with that. There's another stretch called the pigeon stretch, which actually um, makes you move your hip into a little bit of lateral rotation as well, which can be useful. One of the tests I like to do is to get them and see how far somebody can squat while keeping the heels down. And that sounds very difficult because a lot of people would fall backwards quite quickly. But any rowers who can actually achieve a very good catch position, that's at the front of the stroke where the oars go in, should be able to squat down quite easily with their heels down. Obviously, they'll go into posterior pelvic tilt um, as they get towards the, the middle, towards the end of the squat. But that is a good test for composite movement that they can they have enough range in their hips, knees and ankles, which is actually necessary that you can do all of those together. So it's you know, it's a complex kinetic chain, but they all affect the lower back. So three pearls that you look for when you're assessing lumbo pelvic kinematics in a rower. So from the side is the most important and the catch position is the position where the rower is right up at the front of the boat about to put the oars in the water just as they place the oars in the water. And we know that that point and a little bit back from that as they start to pull is the point of the greatest loading in the lower back. There's lots of great research done where they put force transducers on the oars. So at that position, we know that they need to have their shins fairly vertical um, they need to be up on the ischial tuberosities. So we we tell the rowers that you should feel like you're right up on your sit bones at that position, that the pelvis needs to be as vertical as possible. Um, we, you know, ideally into a little bit of anterior pelvic tilt. So a nice vertical pelvis. And actually the spine should be smoothly flexed. So I know we're moving a little bit away from this very um, strict postural approach to lifting and that the spine is actually probably more stable with a smooth flexion throughout it. Some interesting researchers, Valerie Kleshnev, um, who is a biomechanist who works in Canada, took a number of world champions and actually basically just drew on their back, look at the spine position, and he saw at that position of greatest loading, there was a nice smooth curve through the spine with a vertical pelvis. So we know that that is the ideal position. It seems to take loading the best, and it's also very, a very strong position. Rowers often can be bought if you can let them know that you're giving them this advice. Not only will it protect their back, but also it will actually help improve their performance. And it's nice to refer back to those pictures of world champions, Olympic champions, and say, look, this is how they're back. That's the position of their back. So we know it's effective, but we also know it's effective for injury prevention. And that's where you should be going with your rehab to aim for that position in general. Fiona, you mentioned back pain can be sensitized. The patient can feel sensitized. How do you define that? How do you teach that when you're teaching physio students? So one of the examples I use for students is if you've taken a long haul flight. So you've become, you, you know, you've been in a very flexed position for a long period of time, often not by choice. And then you get up and your back feels a little bit stiff. You know, those structures have been sensitized. They've been loaded into position that you wouldn't have chosen. And it's very similar in rowing. It's a little bit like lifting hundreds of times over the period of an hour that 
it's a type of overloading and and the average human back can can cope very well with that rowers train to to cope well with that the difficulty comes when people don't recover there's a lack of recovery the loading becomes um too extended I, you know i work with bioengineers and i've learned a huge amount over the last few years one of them supervised my phd and and they look at their a lot of their research is around tissue loading tissue loading to failure and if you know the human tissue has is a huge capacity for load and it takes a lot to go to failure and I think that pre-failure period, you think about the Young's modulus, if you want to look at physics, that pre-failure period can often be um, a time when the structures are sensitized. The body will recover very well from that with, with the right guidance, the right advice. And then also you have layered onto that is the individual's interpretation of that sensitization. That for some people, that loading... Um, and that sensitization will feel like there's a problem there. And that's where our education comes in with rowers that, you know, you've just done a big Sunday morning, you've done a lot of loading, now you just need to recover. There's some specific exercise we get them to do that it's, you know, that is normal. And by tomorrow you should be starting to feel better. And, and it's that kind of recovery, that, that loading and then adaptation. So it's optimal loading that we look for. So it's, it's a loading to a point that you can recover from. And, and again, there's some great pieces out there that people have written about what happens when you go beyond optimal loading, where you, you're not getting good recovery taking place. It's, it's part of adaptation. It's part of the training response. Perfect. Now, Speaking about loading, it's a great lead into measuring load, and there's been a lot of attention to that in the last few years. And you come from a biomechanics aspect. Um, are rowers doing a better job of measuring their load? What tools are they using? Do they think about acute chronic workload ratios, for example? Um, they've started to in rowing. The problem with rowers is um, that they're quite tough. Um, and what we've seen in rowing is and I've seen it because I've been involved in international rowing probably 25 years, that when I first started, rowers weren't rowing full-time, so they had to do maybe a session in the morning, a session in the evening, and that was it. But now it's more is better, and there seems to be nobody has the nerve to reel it back and do less. So we're really looking at recovery. From my point of view, I'm very interested in specific joint loading. So I've used things like um, electrogoniometers. As somebody continues rowing over a period of time, that you will see they become more and more flexed as the training session goes on. Um, and actually, we've measured full flexion before and afterwards and found that they've increased their full flexion by a considerable percent, at least 10% before and after. But what we should be looking for is that doesn't get worse over periods of days, that they that they're not changing the way their back's moving, that they, they come back to the same position. So effectively, that their range of motion of their spine stays the same, that we're not getting some um, detrimental effect over days of loading. Also, um, you know, other measures um, of, are they able to maintain those that optimal movement pattern that we're looking for? So simple albeit subjective measures, um, 
such as videoing athletes can be really useful, getting them to understand, liaising with coaches. Um, there are new um, wearable technologies out there. I mean, I, I use simple things like an inclinometer on an iPhone. I was, doing, I was working with some juniors the other day and just putting that against their back and getting them to squat and, and showing them how far their, their pelvis, pelvis should tilt as they squat and probably no more and getting them to monitor that, that that's, you know, they do that. Um, so it's, it's getting easier and easier to measure change and movement. Um, we probably could do better with load in rowing. I know physiologists are looking at that, but in terms of MS musculoskeletal, I think we probably need to be a little bit more structured. Um, but again, you know, ultimately rowing is a sport that's associated with low level of injury. Low back pain is one of the things we have, but apart from that, it's pretty good considering the volume of training that rowers do. You've thought about back pain a lot and across patients, not just in rowing. So how can we transfer some of the knowledge you've got from rowing and place it in the context of the big back pain theories and groups that have been dominating the back pain education in the last few years? Um, I think what's important in rowing is it's no different to any other back pain, that it's multidimensional, and to have an understanding of that and make sure that you're reviewing all of that and you're seeing your patient not as an athlete but as a normal person, albeit with these biomechanical aspects that come into it. For me, the big interest, my big interest is in rehab. I've seen... Um, some problems with the rehab in that some of the great work that was done around core stability years ago has been um, altered in a way that it's really not useful in rowing. And, and what is quite interesting is that um, some of those people who did that original research, like Paul Hodges, would agree with that in that it's been misinterpreted, in that stability has been more defined as not even stiffness, but rigidity. And what I've seen with some rowers, in an attempt to make their trunk stronger, they've gone for exercises like the plank, which is a, an isometric hold in a very non-functional position. And it, of interest, one of the studies I did, an injury surveillance program I did, one of the risk factors or one of the predictors of low back pain in rowers was the amount of core stability training they did, as in ones who did more had a higher risk. And I think what was happening there was that this group were doing, um, had a high concentration of isometric holes in their exercises, which were in non-functional positions, so the plank. And um, that really is not going to prepare them well for rowing because rowing requires a strong stable spine, but it also needs to move fluidly from um, a flexed position to a relatively extended position as they move through the stroke. So we've really looked at that in recent years, and we've looked at trunk activity in rowers and what exercise we really need to be thinking about and moved a little bit away from some people's definition of core stability, as in you know isometric holes and, and side planks, things like that, into more of the old-fashioned strengthening techniques such as deadlifts, um, and other um, dynamic activities of the, of the trunk. So I think, I think that is a key thing we still need to um, push a little bit with the rowers. And I know that myself and a couple of the other 
um, clinicians working with international teams are looking at that. Um, and I know Paul Hodges has written some interesting pieces about how that work got misinterpreted. So um, I think that would be one of the key things. And then really not, you know, to keep it quite simple, to um, to deload any athlete that's come in and, and they've, they've, they've got a sore back, look at how much loading they've done and, and deload, but don't deload them completely. Um, so try and keep them moving, but out of the movement patterns that originally caused the problem. So out of the boat, off the agometer for a short period of time, but to be con but to consider that you're going to have to get them back into those movement patterns. So be quite specific in the rehab of training them, them back into those movement patterns, but with optimal loading. So trying to change how the load is going through the back, it still will, of course, go through the back, but to to use those joints that are around it, to think of the kinetic chain, to think about the athlete as a whole system, um, rather as rather than specific muscle groups, which unfortunately some people are still thinking of rehab like that. So that's why we use things like deadlifts and, and squats as rehab for, for low back pain. And it's been shown to be pretty effective. Thanks, Fiona. That's a nice summary about correcting the movement pattern and load management. And as a person who works with these athletes clinically, you often be in a position of suggesting whether they need imaging or not. And there's been the recent suggestion that there's too much imaging. So as a physiotherapist, how do you decide when someone might be referred for imaging? Um, I think we're all pretty agreed on that now, which, which is useful in that, um, you know, most episodes of acute low back pain, and this goes for rowers as well, are self-limiting. They will go away. Now, the problem with rowers is they need to go right back into the activity which brought the pain on in the first place. So that's one thing. It will self-limit. Really, um, in terms of imaging, we're looking at those as red flags. And, and of course, they're screened the first time you see them. They've not been particularly useful. And, and certainly, I've seen rowers who have ended up getting scans routinely just because they're part of an international system, and they have an awful scan, which really doesn't correlate with the level of symptoms they've had. Um, and then on the other side, we've had ones that have had awful symptoms, but there's been nothing on the scan, and, and that can be quite depressing for an athlete. Um, they, they start to think that there's something that they're imagining. So um, within reason, I think uh, the, the use of MRI knowing that things don't show up quickly. Um, I know there was some talk about every international athlete having a baseline MRI and then, you know, if something new happens, but I'm really not sure that can be very helpful. Be, you know, it'd be interesting to see what radiologists think of that. But um, they can be part of the of the clinical management, but certainly not routinely that they, they should be accessed. Of course, I've seen, I've seen the odd rower over the years have had catastrophic um, episodes. I remember one who had a, a central disc prolapsed and who was left with quite serious deficits, had to have emergency surgery, but presented with very um, obvious red flags, right on presentation, couldn't pass urine, hadn't passed urine for 18 hours. So um, they certainly have the space, the, the, the place, but um, it's, it's is not the good clinical reasoning is what is required, and I would say to anybody who's not sure what they're talking about, you know, um, all good clinicians have had some good mentoring um, at, at some point in their life, so seek a second opinion from a colleague if you're not sure. Um, but 
not routinely. Um, certainly, we wouldn't have used them routinely. Um, maybe somebody who's not improving or the red flag really is, is what you're looking at there. And you're listening to Fiona Wilson at Trinity College Dublin in Ireland. There are related BJSM podcasts on back pain by folks like Kieran O'Sullivan and Peter O'Sullivan. Put those links on the site. Thanks for choosing this podcast today and I hope you get a chance to have a physically active day. Mm-hmm.